The Start On Demand. On demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Let's just uh, do a roll call here. Greg Mackling. <laughs> Greg Mackling. Oh. No. But Loren McNabb, I hear your voice. That's so funny. I wanted to do a roll call last week when we were doing musical chairs with all of us. And now here we are this morning doing it again. But we're missing Mackling. Giving him a much-needed day to sleep in. How many yeah. hours did he say he put in yesterday? I suspect, well, I just did some basic math on that. I, I think, you know, at first I said 90 hours, just kind of as a joke of how many hours he put in when he was in Hamilton. But really, like, he basically worked 15-hour days the whole time he was there. And uh, that's a lot. So I thought, <laughs> well, and I was sitting at home yesterday thinking, Okay, so I'm supposed to be on vacation this week. <laughs> Do I make the oh. offer to let him have the day off? And, uh, you know, Greg usually says no to these things. So the fact that he mm-hmm. very quickly said yes <laughs> showed just how tired he was. So I thought, ah, whatever, I'll just reschedule the time off because it's not like I was doing anything anyway. But how are you? Your, your voice yeah. is still scratchy. It's scratchy. Yeah, like full disclosure, uh, Saturday night, I was out for a friend's birthday party. We were out for supper, supper, about five to six couples, lots of loud talking over music. And by 10 o'clock, I said to my husband, I need to go home. Like I could see my, feel my voice going. I said, my voice is going to go and I'm going to have no voice by Monday. Brett's on holidays. Greg's in Hamilton. Like I can't afford to lose my voice. So I walked home, woke up at 3 a.m. as I often do now on the shift, even on the weekends, <laughs> and started talking to see if I could. And it was, so I was like, crap. So I texted you guys right and early and said, uh, we got a problem. I've lost my voice. And I said to you, like, I think this happens to me probably, if not once a year, like once every year and a half, I just lose my voice. Like I just run out of gas or steam or whatever. And I'm not sick. My throat's not sore. I don't have sniffles or a cough or anything. I just lost my voice. And I could feel it coming with all my loud talking on Saturday night as we tried to have a good time. And here we are. So, uh, I feel just fine. I just don't have a voice. But I do have these rapid COVID antigen tests that were sent to me. I don't even know by who, but some companies obviously trying to send things out to let them know, let us know what's available. And I got them in the mail last week. And so I've taken uh, one, two, three of them over the last three days. And they've all come out negative just to be safe and on the safe side of things. But yeah, I sound a bit scratchy just because. And uh, I feel great otherwise, even though I don't sound it, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, because I mean, so like laryngitis is because I remember it was actually fairly early on in your time with me and Greg, where you said, hey, by the way, I have this laryngitis situation that is kind of recurring in my life and I've got it now. (laughs) And and so when you mentioned it the other day, I thought, oh, you know, like that's got to be frustrating to to know that this is something that is coming somewhere down the line. Like you said, it happens every year, year and a half. Like, you know, eventually laryngitis is going to say, hi, Loren, we miss you. Yeah. And I've never actually gone to the doctor to have them say you have laryngitis. I'm just giving myself the Google doc. But, <laughs> but what ha- <laughs> I've Googled it. But and that's not true. Early on, like in 2015, 2016, this happened to me and I went to the doctor and she's just, you're overusing your voice. Shocker. I talk too much. And then when I joined you guys on radio, it's a new job and you're stressed out and all the rest. And it was actually the day I was sent out to cover um, cannabis was legalized. So it was just a lot of talking with different oh, people yeah. and doing interviews. And then I enjoyed, then I joined the 10 o'clock show and then the afternoon show. And by 3 p.m., 
I was done and I had to text you guys saying, I just have no voice. I feel fine. But in this job, if you don't have a voice, you're kind of useless. So it's been really, I've been like cryptically doing hand signals to my kids and writing out notes and all the rest for everyone to understand. And they're like, just talk, mom. I'm like, I can't. So hopefully by the end of the day, it's not worse. But here we are just, you know, powering through. So you often lose your voice because you work too much. Greg's at home today because he works too much. So you're, ma- hey, hang on. You're on vacation and working because you work too much. <laughs> well, what choice did I have? So. <laughs> no, you had not. I'm sorry, my friend. No, no, no. It's okay. I'd, honestly, I, was, I told Greg several times yesterday, I was actually thankful to get that note because I've been so bored sitting at home. Because my cold started with my uh, hoarse voice. Like last Monday, I had the croaky voice that Hal Anderson referred to as B. Arthur and I've never had a cold begin with the deep voice. So I had no idea that it was the onset of some sort of an illness. Usually the deeper voice, the the husky voice is a byproduct of like what happens after. So to have it start that way was so weird. Um, And I I still like the cold is basically gone, but my voice isn't. 100% 100% yet. I, I kind of hope it stays this way because I sort of, I don't mind the deeper voice. You and I should read some novels or something together later, oh. like an audio book, but you know, <laughs> the interesting kind. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you're okay. I'm glad to hear I'm it fine. doesn't hurt nope. because I don't, that's one of the things I was curious about. Like, does this, does it hurt? Does, yeah. Do you feel helpless when, so you're, there's no pain. But when the voice is totally gone uh, and you're trying to speak, what's that? What's that like? You can't like you. I fi- like I physically on Saturday I texted you guys and then I texted our boss and she and I said like it's not that I um, don't feel good. It's that I physically <laughs> you will not be able to understand me like today and likely tomorrow. And I knew by Tuesday I'd be sounding like this, and hopefully by tomorrow it'll be improved. But uh, there's just it's. And you know me, eh? like it's not like I, I always have something to say, and I'm frantically waving my hands in the corner, like, hey, hey, over here, I got, got something to say over here, and kids and husband are all happily ignoring me. I'm like, over here, no, I think they love it. Uh, it's, they're like they're just wor- worshiping the blue moon that has appeared. Exactly. Oh, Mom can't yell downstairs for me to practice the guitar. I'm just banging my foot on the the floor. Hey, hey. By the way, uh, listener Chris Loren, I don't know if you saw this, but Chris has likened uh, the sound of your voice this morning to that of Joan Rivers. Oh boy. That's pretty cool. That is cool. I'll take it, I, I think. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Oh, yes. Trying to remember, was she a smoker too, though? Like I, Probably. I don't want to be accused of having a smoker's cough <laughs> just because I just don't. Maybe once every five years I like dabble in and I'm like, what am I doing? I hate this so much. <laughs> and then you throw it away and you're like, yes. hey, that cotton looks like $2. Why yeah. would I do that? <laughs> All right. So we want to talk some football here because the Great Cup champion Blue Bombers Touched down in Winnipeg yesterday afternoon, bringing the cup, bringing a heavy dose of joy and some big plans to celebrate that victory. Now, coming off their second consecutive championship, the Bombers will be holding a celebration, but unlike last time, it will not be at the Forks. Club says fans are invited to IG Field tomorrow at 6 p.m. 
The event's going to last around an hour, and it will be emceed by CJOB's very own Bob Irving. And I think Greg Mackling is going to be there as well, doing some of our coverage of that event. Now, Winnipeg Football Club President and CEO Wade Miller says it, as mentioned, it's going to be different from 2019's celebration, but both fans and the team deserve to come together again. Yeah, we're going to celebrate the Grey Cup uh, during a pandemic and have all of our fans down at uh, 6 o'clock, and it's free. Uh, You you obviously need to be fully vaccinated uh, to come into the stadium, as as usual. Uh, Gates will open at 5 o'clock, and, you know, we'll uh, we'll do, uh, you know, have the trucks rolling around with all the players and some videos and just a great uh, great hour, hour and a half of uh, celebrating with our fans, and we look forward to that. The, you know, for our players and coaches, uh, it's just amazing. Um, you know, they they really worked hard all year and made a ton of sacrifices to play football um, during COVID. And, uh, you know, were followed every protocol, did everything they had to to stay on the field and, and then went and got it done. And so just so proud of those coaches and players and, you know, that opportunity just to see them celebrating and having fun is, is important and, and great for our fans. And, uh, you know, this is... Uh, you know, just great for our city and province. Nice to have something to feel good about, I think. And fans are obviously excited about the victory and what it means for the team and for Manitoba. Global's Merrick Takash has more on the feeling and hype that comes with this huge victory. Stepping out of the plane after winning consecutive Grey Cups to a warm welcome of firefighter applause and sirens. And who else but Willie Jefferson would be the last bomber off the plane hoisting the cop. This is something that you would never think we could do, go back to back. And we did it, man. This, 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 is, this, is, this is specifically for the fans, specifically for the city. Winnipeg, this for y'all, baby! The celebration this week will be a little different than 2019, with an event being held at IG Field on Wednesday night in lieu of a parade. I'm sorry we're not having a parade, but I just expect Everybody just come to IG Field and do the same thing we did when we beat the Riders. You know, just have a good time, uh, celebrate the Great Cup, celebrate the back-to-back, celebrate being Manitobians, celebrate being Winnipegians, you feel me? Down at IG Field on Monday, a steady flow of Bomber fans getting their first choice of Grey Cup merch. Just shopping around, see what we can get for Christmas for the big win. (laughs) Yeah, like everybody else. From t-shirts and hoodies to hats and even more clothing on the way, there's plenty of ways to show your Bomber pride in a championship fashion. I wanted to be the first one to grab uh, the Grey Cup champion back-to-back shirts. They're not in yet, so I came here to get those. I was going to surprise my mom for Christmas with the shirt, but they don't have them in yet, so I'm going to pre-order them. Something that'll be on full display in just a few days at IG. Merrick DeCash, Global News. McGarry and Moore, as in Demi Moore, according to Tannis. That's yeah. what Loren sounds like this morning. That's I also like that cool. better than Joan Rivers. I don't know why. Well, it's because you associated it with the, the smoking voice yeah. thing. You don't want that. But I don't know. Joan Rivers has a cool voice. And Demi sure. Moore also has a cool voice. So I guess win-win. Yeah, I'll take both. Okay. There, there could be worse things to be called. We also want to say thanks to, uh, we got people like Sandy and Kat coming up with various recipes to try to help uh, Loren get over her laryngitis. Do you dare try any of these <laughs> recipes, Loren? I did. 
I tried cats just now. And in fact, I've, I've actually tried this before and forgot about it because as I was saying at the top of the clock that I often lose my voice like once a year or once every year and a half or so. And so it's a regular thing for me. It just goes and it's very frustrating. And so I had done this recipe before but forgot about it. Cats was a mixture of uh, apple cider vinegar, honey, uh, and some cayenne pepper. And she says she drinks hers neat, like as if it's some fancy, you know, <laughs> drink. Uh, I added water and it was disgusting. I barely choked it down, but here's hoping. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Kat, I think. If Loren's voice magically reappears <laughs> in the next little while. Uh, Sandy's recipe was a bit simpler, just lemon water. But So you had yeah. apple cider yep. vinegar and cayenne pepper on hand. And honey. But no lemon, <laughs> as if, right? So I went upstairs and made that quickly and choked her down. Well, good for you. I, I couldn't, but when you, when Vodka you said Vodka would have helped, I think, in that one. <laughs> hey, coming up in our next segment, we have an awesome prize to give away this morning. We, we, we have tickets for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a Broadway musical coming to the Centennial Concert Hall next year. So more details on that in our next segment and how you can win those tickets. But right now, we want to talk about how the Manitoba government is looking to Ottawa for help in this fourth wave. Because over the weekend, Manitoba Health put in a request for 15 to 30 ICU nurses that would be able to come here for at least six weeks to work in our major acute care facilities and ICUs. So we had asked Ottawa for help back in the third wave. People might recall back in the spring. Here we are again, and it was at this time yesterday that uh, you and Greg were telling listeners about this letter that was penned by several frontline doctors, not just asking Manitoba to put in that request for military help and and more frontline staff, um, but also asking for a whole host of other restrictions. And so we're looking to see how Ottawa will respond to this request. But as Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, many of these doctors, frontline workers, say more action is needed now. It was another long and grueling weekend inside Manitoba's critical care units. We were between 95 and 100% occupancy the whole weekend. And it felt a little bit like playing a chess game. Where was going to be the next move in order to accommodate people? Moves ICU physician Dr. Eric Jacobson say they're running out of. Jacobson is one of 10 doctors who've sent yet another letter to the province, saying... It seems that all reason and accountability has been abandoned by those in authority. Our critical care services are failing. We will once again have to fly out ventilated patients to other provinces. We're just frustrated by the lack of response. It's not as though uh, warnings haven't been issued. Doctors say the government must start enforcing its current public health orders with fines and closures if necessary, specifically in under-vaccinated communities. People are burnt out, they particularly burnt out because many of the patients that they're caring for have a totally preventable disease, and that is vaccination. And many of those patients that are ending up in ICUs have not obeyed public health laws, uh, 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 edicts. They are not being uh, enforced in those communities. They're also calling for mandatory vaccines for kids attending school in person, widespread rapid testing, and for holiday gatherings to be restricted to just family. We haven't been wrong in the past, and uh, the holiday season is, uh, is, is upon us. Brittany Greenslade, Global News.
So here we are. The holiday season is upon us. He mentioned burnout there and what frontline nurses and staff are feeling. At 807, Brett, we're going to talk to the nurses union. We've been down this road before where they've expressed just the concern and the questions they have in terms of how much more can they put in when they've already put in so much. We know morale must be low as a result. Imagine working in those facilities when you sort of feel like you're beating your head against a wall. So Darlene Jackson, president of the nurses union, will join us at 807 to talk about that burnout. Now, you heard one of the doctors in Brittany's story talk about rapid testing. Last week, we were telling you how Ontario was handing them out to families of school-aged kids so they could be tested before coming back to school after the holidays. Greg was telling us yesterday that he got a rapid test every single day as part of the coverage at the Grey Cup. And Alberta and Nova Scotia are also making rapid tests available to public ahead of the holidays. So Global's Abigail Turner has details on what Manitoba has in stock for the quicker COVID test. It's a valuable tool that... um that shouldn't be sitting on a shelf. A memo from the Manitoba Pharmacists Association published Friday says rapid tests can now be sold directly to the public through pharmacies. It was previously directed towards travelers or unvaccinated children participating in sports. But it costs anywhere between 40 to $100, a price tag Dr. Pamela Orr questions. Is it ethical for a uh, 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 health system to not use a tool Uh, that that can be helpful in the middle of a pandemic. Manitoba has received more than 2.7 million rapid COVID-19 tests from the federal government since November 2020. Nearly half, they say, have been distributed to public sector employees and private businesses through the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. Rapid tests are another tool in the toolbox that that we really can't afford not to use. Health Canada approved online retailers say they've seen a surge for rapid tests. There's certainly a lot of demand that we're getting from the prairie provinces across the board. Manitoba is, of course, a smaller province, but the demand there has picked up substantially. Dr. Orr says this is the ideal time to make the quicker tests more accessible. If you're bringing unvaccinated people to a Christmas gathering, let's say children or uh, unvaccinated cousins, you could use the test uh, it in in high in areas where there's a lot of transmission. The province says they currently have 1.2 million rapid tests in inventory, but the price tag for public health remains as we head into the holidays. Abigail Turner, Global News. So, Brett, I was saying I have a couple of these tests at home, these rapid tests, and I've used three of them since Sunday morning just to make sure I'm not, you know. Um, with any COVID symptoms, I, I often get laryngitis or, you know, lose my voice once or twice every few years. But I, they did make me feel better. It's not the perfect answer because it's, you know, if there was other symptoms involved here, I'd still be going to get that PCR test. But I do think it's a good tool for in the school, say if you, you know, you can't keep your kid home all the time or you might need to go into work and know I feel fine, but I don't want to be spreading something like you did last week, but then you had to wait 36 hours or 42 hours for that test. Did you not? It came back at, I went seven, I got there at 7.05 Tuesday morning. Yeah. Test was administered, I think, at 7.40, and I had the results at 3.06 a.m. Uh, the next day. Oh, okay. So that was fairly quick. Yeah. But still lost a day of work, right? And you weren't feeling well, so you shouldn't come in anyway. But that's the question for a lot of people. If you're asymptomatic, not with any symptoms, but asymptomatic, but you're going into a gathering or going into a big meeting or about to travel and you think to yourself, I want to just double check to make sure I'm not at least carrying something right now. It's not foolproof. You might need to use them two or three times a week to make sure you're okay. But maybe it's the way to go going forward for that peace of mind. 
We have tickets to give away for Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. This is coming to Winnipeg Centennial Concert Hall. June 7th to June 12th, 2022. Now, tickets are going on sale for this Broadway musical on Friday, this Friday at 10 a.m. You can get them online at centennialconcerthall.com or you can call 204-949-3999 or you can win tickets today because we want to talk about your favorite kids' books. What book did you like the most as a kid? Is there a book from your childhood that you still read from time to time? Maybe there's a book that you did read and you didn't like it, but maybe you liked the movie adaptation. I don't know. Or maybe there's a book that you have been always wanting to revisit and uh, never got around to it. But maybe one day, text us at 204-780-6868. Jeff Braun, let's start with you, sir. Uh, I really liked the Roll Doll books now that you mention it. I think the BFG, the Big Friendly Giant, I believe that's what it stands for. I think that was my favorite, although uh, it's been so long I have no idea what it was about, other than <laughs> it was about a, a Big Friendly Giant. But I really liked Roll Doll. He was he was my favorite author, I think, as a kid. You never watched the uh, the BFG movie? I did not. I, I didn't read good reviews about it, and I was like, well, why, let's not spoil that if we don't have to. For From the childhood, you know, we'll just let that one slide. Fair enough. Fair enough. Loren, what about you? Oh, I was going to say I have the whole series because the kids got into that a few years ago. And he's kind of like a really dark writer because BFG, he's a friendly giant, but all the other giants at night, I think they eat the children, if I'm not recalling. <laughs> oh, dear. So it's kind of kind of goes dark. There's a different, like there's the twits was a bit dark. The J- James and the giant peach was great that he got to escape in that peach, but it was because he lived with these two awful guardians. Like there's just, it's kind of, you know, the way Disney makes all the parents like die or there's some sort of situation happen so that the kid can redeem themselves. But he's a great writer. Those were good. But my pick would be, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret by Judy Bloom, which I thought was supposed to be turned into a movie this year. Um, and I just don't know if it came into fruition, but she's a grade six kid. And the way Judy Bloom wrote in the mind of a grade six kid was incredible. Like a 12 year old girl on the cusp of her first dance and, uh, you know, her first training bra and her first period and all the rest. Like it was so bang on that I'd love to see that on film. I'd like to read it again first before that film, if it ever comes out, just to see if it still stands the test of time. But I bet it does. It looks like the the film is in production. So I uh, don't see, uh, let's see, there, do we have a release date for that? Rap production July 1st of this year, so probably come out next year sometime. Okay, there you go. The couch potatoes <laughs> were on the case on that <laughs> one. Looking it up, yeah. <laughs> As I hear you frantically Googling in the background. <laughs> Sorry if that was distracting. Poitras, <laughs> uh, what about you? You know, I, I got lots of great memories of, of my parents, especially my mom, uh, reading to me and my brother each night. We, we would kind of pick a book. I remember Charlotte's Web. Yes. We read The Hobbit, uh, the first uh, couple Harry Potter books, uh, Phil- uh, Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is one of my favorites as well. Uh, if we're going like really far back to when I was a young kid, Yertle the Turtle, that jerk, Yertle yeah. the Turtle, what an <laughs> a-hole that guy is. And poor Mac at the bottom, you know, sends him back down to the pond like, what an absolute jerk Yertle was. But I love that one. Um, and I-, I always preferred if my mom was reading... Um, because my dad would like yawn halfway through, <laughs> and then he would just keep reading, and I well, what did I miss? What was in that part? You know, but um, yeah, no, I got great memories. I can't wait if I'm lucky enough to have children. I can't wait to do that with my kids. So, 
If Wait till you like try to skip a few pages too because you're tired. Like I'm just gonna fast <laughs> forward four part? pages here, mom. That's, you missed this part. That yeah. part. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah especially because they always they've heard the books so many times they know yes. when you're skipping stuff, right? It's like, oh no, the pages are stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Forte, what about you? Oh, there's there's so many. I was just thinking about Doctor Seuss, of course. Can't forget about him. I. Uh, uh, Roald Dahl, as well, Matilda was one of my favorite books, but it was also one of my favorite movies, directed by Danny uh, DeVito. Yeah. Uh, but one that really sat with me when I was a uh, preteen teenager was The Catcher in the Rye. That one really sat with me, because I connected with the, the character so much. Uh, so yeah, The Catcher in the Rye. Okay. Holden Caulfield. Have you ever gone back to it? No. I hated that book. Why? I hated Holden Caulfield. He was such a brat, but I guess that was the point. He was such like a little snot, and I, I just... Well, do you hate me? Because I am Holden Caulfield. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not Holden Caulfield. <laughs> well, for me, the, my favorite book actually from is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It is one that I still read. So in terms of books that I would like to revisit, I guess actually there are a couple from grade seven. One of them was Treasure Island. We read grade, uh, Treasure Island in grade seven English class. Uh, Monsieur Cadieux was my teacher, and uh, Treasure Island was one of the books we read. And I didn't quite get it. I think, I don't know if I was just too young for it or just too dumb. So I always wanted to revisit that because it's an all time classic. And another one from grade seven is Banner in the Sky. Yes. So Loren remembers that. Uh, did you have to read that one too? I'm trying to remember what grade that was in. Uh, I don't think we ever did. Treasure Island, but we definitely did Banner in the Sky, and uh, that's the Matterhorn, right? Yeah. Like when they, yeah. Um, I love that, and I'm trying to think if I would love it the same now. I've had the chance to actually be like see the Matterhorn in person, which was super cool, and I always thought of that book, but I can't oh, tell you a thing about this story about that they try to climb it. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's just about a boy trying to ascend uh, the Alps uh, and essentially get past the spot where his father, yeah. from what I remember, his dad died trying to uh, to do this. So uh, the, the boy becomes a man in Banner in the Sky. So here's what we need from you. You want to win tickets for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at the Centennial Concert Hall next year? Tell us a story about your favorite book from childhood. Or you know what? Maybe there's a book that you hated. Like maybe there's a book that you had to read in school that makes you angry when you think about it. Like, God, why did I have to read this book? What's that? Do you have to read Le Petit Prince? Probably. It sounds kind of familiar. It's probably something I've blocked out. I've got to Google that, though. I should try it again. (laughs) Why? And we're asking you to tell us about your favorite books from your childhood for a chance to win tickets to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Centennial Concert Hall. And this is kind of, this could be potentially be something of a scavenger hunt, Loren. This listener says, my favorite book uh, was from the, it was a sort of Dr. Seuss-inspired series, I think, or it was like, the the author of this book is Helen Palmer, but it's, uh, from what I can tell, it's like there's a cat in a hat in the corner and it says, I can read it. All by myself. It's like a series of beginner books. And this book is called Why I Built the Boogle House. And this listener says, there is a house every time I go to the cottage down Highway 1 that when I drive by it, it uh, reminds me of the Boogle House. So I say, well, where, where is it? Where is this house? And apparently it's by, by Richer on the north side and it has a vehicle on top of it. Oh. Something to I keep an eye out for. I don't I don't either. So something to watch out for, I guess, next time I'm heading out that way. 
I'm looking at the photo now. There's a horse out the window. I, I think that's fantastic. It's so interesting to me that people can remember books like all the years later that, you know, really hit them home. And it seems to be a lot of the books that came from when people were in grade one, two or th- three, which I think is great. I do have to ask the question. And I always ask this. If your favorite book has been turned into a movie, did it do it justice? Oh, that's a great question, too. And I think 90% of the time the answer is no. No, because, well, how, how could it possibly? Very few exceptions to the rule. Lord of the Rings, I would say the films are superior. I'm sure people will want to fight me on that one, but uh, I like the books. I just like the movies better. It's breakfast with the bombers. It's brought to you by the cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. A better place for you. At 12.13 p.m. yesterday, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers sent out this tweet. We are the champions, my friends. The Grey Cup champions on the plane, Loren, getting ready to come home. That was yesterday afternoon. They sent out a couple of tweets. I think at one point they were also singing, I want to say, Backstreet Boys uh, on the plane. There was other songs that were keeping their going. And, of course, they were celebrating, but the work was not yet complete for the coach. Last night, Bob Irving hosted the final edition of the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea, and they spoke to several grateful Manitobans. Here's how some of that went down. Pam, you're on the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea. Go ahead, Pam. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say congratulations to the fourth quarter kings. <laughs> I mean, Pam. you know, was, there was a little bit of nervousness in our room, uh, but I was not nervous because I, you guys have been doing it all year, not letting the you know the other team get too many at all. So yeah, it was really good. And um, I just wanted to say, uh, Bob, when we watch the games, we have the TV on and the radio on. And the volume on the TV is down. And we're going to miss the voice and the man behind it. Barbara, you're on the Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea. Go ahead. Hi there. I'm calling from Alberta. Um, I've rarely missed a Coaches Show, but I've never phoned in. So I, I just want to tell you that since you won the Grey Cup in 2019... Every single morning, the first words out of my mouth is champions. <laughs> and perfect. I just holler it. And, and I get to do it for another year. And it is just wow. That's fantastic. Unbelievable. Thank <laughs> so you very much. Exciting. So you're a transplanted Manitoban, are you, Barb? Yeah, I left uh, Winnipeg in 78. Uh, and I've never stopped being a Blue Bomber fan. So who do you yell champions to? Who do you who do you wake wake people up with? Or what do you, well, what do you... neighbors, but my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he brings me coffee, so it's just it's delightful. And that's the first thing he said after the win last night is, "Well, I guess you keep on yelling every morning for another year." <laughs> that's beautiful. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. Hi, Mike. How's it going, Jason? Good, good. I uh, just want to congratulate you. This was my 27th Grey Cup. Uh, I was in the stands last night, and to watch you guys win two in a row was just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, just so proud of it. Uh, I live in BC now, but uh, I live, I breathe uh, blue and gold. Hey, go ahead, Dan. I'd like to, to compare uh, Coach O'Shea to somebody the Bombers used to have, a man whose middle name was Stoicism. He was like a rock, like a rock more, more, more than one. And still confidence in his team, and uh, he came to Winnipeg, 
to play football for, uh, believe it or not, money. And I'm sure Bob Irving knows who it is. Harry Peter Grant. Yes, sir. That's right. Uh, everybody's different and maybe not, <clears throat> not cut from the same cloth exactly, but a lot of the same threads are there. And uh, I'm thinking uh, three-peat and dynasty right now, so... Way to go. Thank you, Thanks, Dan. Dan. There you go. Dynasty, Mike. They're looking for yeah. a dynasty. You ready for that? You ready to deliver? High, high praise there. <laughs> let's uh, let's just enjoy this one. All right. <laughs> I need a rest. <laughs> Marcel here on the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, just wanted to say congratulations. Um, uh, there's a few uh, special bomber moments in my life. The 84 Great Cup um, and uh, the first Great Cup in 29 years and I think when you were hired coach, uh, I kind of felt this is where we were heading. Uh, I was real excited about it. Glad, glad we got there. It was a bit of a, a bit of a road, but it, it's been worth it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next year. Once again, the final edition of the 2021 version of The Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea, Bob Irving, put together that little package for us. Bob, thank you very much for that. And we say hello now. This is a surprise. The one, the only president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, Wade Miller, joining us for Breakfast with the Bombers. Good morning, Wade. Good morning, guys. So, um, how's it going? Well, it's good. We're getting ready for tomorrow night. Uh, you know, thanks for just throwing it over. That's awesome. Uh, we're getting ready for tomorrow night. Um, you know, can't wait to have our fans down at uh, six o'clock at IG Field. Gates open at five. Um, you know, we're going to uh, do what we do in this uh, pandemic and make an audible and have a great, uh, great cup celebration in the stadium and welcome all of our fans down and uh, you know, come celebrate. Um, be an hour, hour ceremony, hour and fifteen get to hear from some of the players and uh and it'll be uh you know hosted by uh the one and only Bob Irving. I think it's an important, you know, people like to get get together when they can, Wade, and obviously these are different times and we can't do it as we would, but we've had so many listeners text in to say they just want to see the players' faces and have a chance to yell out their thanks in person. And I can only imagine the players sort of feel the same way too. I mean, it's nice to win, but you want to give your shout-outs back to the fans that helped get you there. Yeah, absolutely and uh you know, it's it's important to the fans, and you're right. Very important to the players as well, um, and and that's what we'll be able to do, and and we'll do it in, uh, you know, the the resilience that we've shown as a province, and you know, you go back to August 5th, that was the largest event held uh, as as we're getting through this pandemic in Canada, um, the first large event, and we'll do, we'll do it again in a different way, and it'll be great uh, tomorrow night at IG Field. Wait, what's it like, you know, because the team just won the Grey Cup. Eventually, you'll probably all want a little bit of a break, but at the same time, you're running a business. We've got people who are, we've already heard from people in the news run saying they're they're already looking for very specific Grey Cup merchandise. One uh, person told Global News they want the, the back-to-back Grey Cup champion T-shirt. Uh, so when you're... So you've now sort of got to look towards that kind of thing, right? Like getting that merchandise in so people can uh, get in and scoop them all up. Yeah, well, I can tell you that's already started. It's it's amazing the uh, online sales and people that were in the store yesterday. Pardon me. And the the merchandise will keep rolling in this week. And uh, we've got great suppliers. We've been through this, uh, you know, which is great. Uh, Makes it easier the second time in a row. 
Um, and you're right. There's no uh, no stop for all of our staff off the field, and, and just a, an amazing group that we have that will execute, and uh, we'll have a ton of merchandise in, in the store uh, by Wednesday, Thursday. More arriving over the weekend. You can go online to you know the bomber store and purchase it there. You know, and we've created it online where you can purchase it now, um, get a downloadable, uh, you know, gift uh, gift notification that you could put under the tree. Um, you know, with the Grey Cup uh, being in December, there's no way we're getting this stuff out before Christmas. Um, just can't do it. But, you know, there's a way to still put it under the tree. No, Wade, the, the win is so good for community morale, but at the end of the day, too, you also need to make some money, and I'm just curious what the win does with merchandise going out and the ability to get those back-to-back T-shirts and all the rest, what it does for the bottom line. There has to be a, a pretty big financial spinoff here. Well, actually, you know, the one thing in our great Canadian Football League is actually as the winner of the Grey Cup, um, your expenses are actually much higher, so this helps just cover those, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's great. I, we, we're not going to change that, so... Um, but yeah, it, it definitely helps, but it, it is expensive winning a gray cup, mm. which is a great problem to have. And, sure. uh, you know, we, we'll, we wouldn't take it any other way. Well, what about adding to it in another way? I mean, yet you have to pay to get the players to the gray cup and back, and there's all sorts of expenses associated with that. I'm curious just what kind of draw this win, this back-to-back win might have on the future of this club, attracting players here. Like it really puts Winnipeg, if we weren't already on the map as one heck of a team, Wade, it puts this on the map now. Yeah, I'm not sure that uh, there may be a lot of spots on this uh, roster next year because I'm not sure the, you know, that group of guys, uh, you know, plan on uh, not not all being back or close to it. Um, you know, there's some, uh, you know, the, the, you don't see locker rooms like that. I've been in locker rooms for 11 years as a player. You don't see a locker room that tight. And watching them celebrate together after the win, um, watching them all year. Uh, you know, th- that's a that's a tight group there that play for each other. And you don't come back from games like that in a, in a home stadium, in a Grey Cup. You don't come back from games unless you are playing for each other and not yourself. Well, Wade, congratulations to you and your organization. And, uh, hey, I'm glad that you called in so we can personally say thank you to uh, for all the joy that you've brought to this province once again uh, with that victory on Sunday. Congratulations, and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, guys. And, you know, <clears throat> make sure to get out Wednesday night because, uh, you know, you, you said it best, Lauren, is that the fans and the players need this as well. And Wade, just in case you need a little help with that hoarse voice from the shouting, our listeners are suggesting Brandy to me this morning. So I just wanted to... Oh, Brandy. Brandy, yeah. Just throw that at you. Yeah. Yeah, I only drink on nights when we win the Grey Cup, so (laughs) I'll just uh, have to wait till next year. Great answer. I'm not joking about that either. So, yeah. Okay, guys. He's a man of discipline. Wade Miller, the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, joining us live on 680 CJOB. So once again, the celebration tomorrow at IG Field, 6 p.m. Gates open at 5 p.m. You want to enter through gates 1, 2, and 3. Again, you'll need to provide proof of full vaccination. Bob Irving is going to MC the event. I believe Greg Mackling is going to be providing some coverage on site for the radio station. We want to start this half hour 
With what Jeff Braun's been telling you off the top of Global News, Manitoba is waiting to hear whether Ottawa will be able to send up to 30 nurses to help in our acute care facilities and intensive care units. This request, Brett, comes as a group of doctors called for military help for hospitals, in addition to other measures like more rapid testing, stronger enforcement for those defying public health measures, etc. They they put that open letter out there over the weekend and got a wide variety of responses. So here's the numbers as we know right now. According to Shared Health, 102 patients in Manitoba's ICUs as of yesterday morning 35 with COVID. So that's up 17% from just a week ago, and it's 42% higher than the pre-COVID capacity. So the numbers are up in the ICUs. And in addition to that request for military support from Manitoba, Shared Health said in a statement that it's also asking for any rural or retired nurses with acute care experience to step forward if they can to help. Darlene Jackson is the president of the Manitoba Nurses Union and joins us now. Good morning, Darlene. Good morning. I want to start with that ask to any retired nurses because it's been made before in several ways of this pandemic. Are there enough people out there who will be able to to help fill some of the gaps we have right now with staffing in our ICUs? I don't believe so, uh, Loren. I think that we are, um, I think that we're sort of grasping at straws at this point. Uh, During wave three, Manitoba was the only province that had to transfer patients out of our province. Uh, due to lack of uh, ability to open beds. And that has a direct impact or a direct relation to the nursing shortage we're seeing right now. So I truly don't believe that uh, uh, there's going to be enough nurses out there. And I'm not sure that nurses are going to step up again. It's been two years and they've stepped up hundreds of times. And uh, I'm not sure that we're going to see that this time. This ask for military support, meanwhile, should it have been made earlier? Well, our numbers have been climbing. Uh, We are starting to see those numbers get higher. We're seeing uh, more patients in ICU. Um, I think it may have been um, a bit more proactive to have looked at that option earlier, but um, it's it's something that is uh, is it's a tough call for uh, for employers in this government because uh, it does. It, it does truly then show we are in a nursing shortage and we must deal with this. We must acknowledge and deal with it. But we know that, right, Darlene? Like we've been talking about this pre-pandemic and now we've talked about it every single wave about the shortage. And yeah, I, I do acknowledge that the government has taken some steps to try to address it, but many might argue it's not quick enough. And so here we are, the ask is going back to nurses again to please step forward. And you mentioned you're not sure if they will in terms of just that pure burnout i mean where are they at when they hear what's going on out there and and whether they're retired or in the system right now uh what are they telling you in terms of the of the ask that's being put on them again well what what i'm hearing from nurses is is they uh they are burnt out i've heard from so many nurses who have said you know i'm going to get us through COVID. i'm going to get this health system through COVID, and then i'm going to retire and what i'm hearing from nurses right now is i can't wait until COVID is over uh, I can't. I can't sustain this any longer. You know that there's still a tremendous amount of mandated overtime out there. Uh, we're just we're seeing nurses burning out and just not able to finish uh, finish the you know the last bit of the marathon in this pandemic. And so that's really worrying. We're also seeing uh, many many nurses who are leaving the system and going to private clinics, private agencies, just uh, to have some control over their work life. 
Do you have numbers to back that up, Darlene? I know anecdotally you're probably hearing some stories, but in terms of retirement numbers or nurses that are leaving to go to those other jobs, what kind of percentage are we talking about as far as you know? Um, I I can't give you numbers because uh, we depend on the employers to uh, relay that information to us as as nurses put in their notice or put in their uh, notice. But we do know that we are we do have well over 2,200 vacancies, uh, vacant nursing positions in this province, and we do know we have facilities that are uh, been managed uh, totally by agency. Uh, staff. There's no uh, public health, you know, no staff from the public system in those facilities. So we do know our vacancy rates are growing, and they're growing every day. Have you asked for a meeting with the premier or health minister? Um, I had originally uh, asked for a meeting with the premier uh, the week that she was actually brought into uh, her position uh, as premier, and uh, she uh, did not, uh, you know, I, the request was denied, and I was moved to uh, a meeting with the Minister of Health two weeks later. So we had a short meeting with the Minister of Health, and um, I brought forward all of our concerns that we had talked about. And um, I, I have not been invited back to another meeting. So I think that would be very helpful at this point to actually talk to, uh, uh, you know, someone who has uh, is in touch with the nurses who, whose uh, duty issues are actually on the floor out there. Darlene, before we let you go, you know, if there's one thing that I know there's not one answer to this, but here we are waiting for military help. The ask has gone out for retired nurses to come forward and help again in these acute care and ICU facilities. Is there one thing that you'd ask for that could be done right now in the short term to help with what we're going through in this fourth wave? Well, I I think that for nurses in this province, we've had we've had lots of lip service from this government. You know, thank yous for what we've done. And then, you know, uh, less than two weeks ago, nurses were referred to uh, as factory workers who didn't show up for their shift on the assembly line. So I would say right now, the best thing this government can do is start valuing and respecting nurses for what they bring to the table and retain every nurse in the system that's here. Do whatever you have to do to keep them because we're not going to survive if we don't. Darlene Jackson is the president of the Manitoba Nurses Union, joining joining us live on 680 CJOB. Darlene, thank you for this. Thanks very much. In a moment, we're going to check in with Global's Corey Callahan on the Leisure Guide. But before that, uh, I suppose my example of leisure is... Um, between 825 and 835 here at 201 Portage, I get to play a game. It's called Will I Make It Back in Time? Because I go downstairs for a quick vape and I come in and there's like 25 people in line for the elevator. We got four elevators to bring us from 19 to 30. Uh, it's actually five, but one of them is under repair. And that's cool because they're, they're, they're replacing them all eventually. But uh, they never have all of them running. So sometimes it's just a crapshoot. Am I going to make it back on time? So far, so good. I've been. Ye- I don't know how you do it. Like when I was sitting in your chair last week, I couldn't even, I was scared to even go get a glass of water because I, I get a say I'm easily distracted. So fortunately, you'd be like, you got weather coming up? And I think, oh my gosh, no, I forgot. But also I didn't want to get out there and not get back in time. So I would never go 
go downstairs if I was in your job. <laughs> Ever. Well, I, I, when we moved downtown, I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to go down. But uh, the, the elevators are they're once they, they're pretty fast. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, this is actually something that I can do. Uh, just run outside for a minute and make it back up. But with all, I guess, still 8.30 clearly is like the the classic start time and that seems to be the time that most people start work in this building so maybe i should just stop doing that especially if i can't uh, rely on getting back in time but it is it does add some excitement i'm standing in line my heart's pounding I'm like okay if i was getting a little tired now i'm awake so yeah, um especially the text from you still in the elevator line guys you might have to take over here oh. <laughs> hey adam by the way on the subject of favorite books from childhood adam says i hated so he's going the other direction. I hated Romeo and Juliet. I had to read it twice as a failed grade nine English student. And then we did it again in grade 12 English. Three why times. twice? I, I guess because like, he failed grade nine no, English. I know, but, but like, why would, they, why would it be in the grade nine curriculum and then brought back again in grade 12? Um, maybe, uh, what the? <laughs> of course, I can't think of the word. What the, the, the when someone who's really mean, who's uh, sadistic? The, oh, yeah. Maybe the teachers were sadistic. Yeah, that's a possibility. I I want to pretend like I like Shakespeare, but I did not. I did not like it either. But uh, some of the stories that have been adapted into other forms, that's good. So keep those stories coming. We're gonna pick a winner at nine fifteen for the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory tickets for the musical production that's coming to the concert hall. And uh, at some point this half hour, we have Canada's Winter Wonderland passes to give away. But right now, Global's Corey Callahan joins us this morning. Corey Callahan, you are on leisure guide duty this morning. Hey, Brett. Yeah, yeah, that's good morning. Um, yeah, basically, the leisure guide just opened the last half hour or so. So right now, everyone's, uh, I'm sure, scrambling to try to make sure they can get some activities going for their kids. So what's on the agenda for the winter leisure guide? This includes skating and swimming. Are both registrations open today? Yeah, so uh, there's a wide range of activities that are available. Yeah, and, and like uh, I mentioned, um, it's uh, now open as of uh, 8 a.m. So there's uh, anything from basketball, floor hockey, dodgeball, um, also, also some dancing classes for younger kids as well. Um, so basically anything you can almost think of. So this can be found on uh, winnipeg.ca slash leisure online. There's three main ways to register for the leisure guide. You can go to, to that same website there, winnipeg.ca slash leisure online. You can also try uh, calling 311 as well to, to, to make your picks. And you can also register in person at 395 Main Street or at any indoor pool with the exception of, of, of uh, St. James Civic Center. So again, the registration for the activities begins today for uh, Winnipeg residents, and then, uh, sorry, which day is it for non-residents of Winnipeg? Uh, that would open up a little bit later on, um, so in the next uh, week or so, it usually takes place. So yeah, so again, uh, for today, it'd be uh, for the Winnipeg residents uh, to make sure they can uh, get their picks. Uh, of course, um, again, it's starting the last half hour or so, so um, if, if you haven't done also already, you might want to because uh, usually these, <laughs> these programs uh, uh, get uh, picked up pretty fast. And a reminder for anyone signing up, you of course need proof of vaccine, full dose for anyone 18 and over for any of these indoor facilities and indoor city run facilities. And if you're between 12 and 17, you need that proof of one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. So just an FYI for anyone signing up. Thanks, Corey, for this. Thank you.
And I'm just uh, confirming it's Thursday, December 16th at 8 a.m. for non residents. Yeah. I'm curious how many people will be scrambling for particularly things like swimming. You know, like we lost some of those sports last year. They didn't run in their full capacity or lessons sometimes were canceled because of COVID. Lots of people, you know, swimming's not just a thing you do for fun or a thing you even do for sport. It's sort of a life and, and death thing, a skill you really need. And for a lot of parents, not being able to get their kids into swimming might have added a little bit of stress over the past year. So I feel like that one's really going to be in high demand for parents. I mean, it's hard enough sometimes to get them in those lessons anyway. But then when you lose months, if not a year of possibility, um, the scramble will be on going forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the pool is actually open in my apartment building, so I should probably get down there and do that just because I I miss that and I miss the hot tub. But for for me, I've always wondered... Because they, you don't need to be a kid to for to be registering for a leisure guide activity, right? Like they have stuff in there for adults too, don't they? Oh, absolutely. There's all sorts of different courses and classes you can take, right? So, yeah, we often talk about about this kids because that's where I think the big scramble it is to get them into your schedule. But there's many things you can do. As an adult, including swimming, I've seen a lot more adults in the pool in the past year take two years taking lessons whenever I brought my kids, which I think is so great. Just adults saying, hey, like, I want to learn how to do this, too. And you can do that through the Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I never got past the whip kick. Now, when I was in swimming lessons, it was uh, the colored badge system. I don't know how they do it now, but I never got my green badge. I couldn't do the whip kick or whatever they called it. Uh, it just seemed, I, I, it seemed kind of pointless. I really, I, ne- I never understood its purpose, but I'm sure it had to do with, you know, carrying somebody who was drowning and uh, I, so you could still stay afloat, but I could never get it right. So I never yeah. got my green badge. It's the one I like to do because I think it's the lazy one. It's not as hard as the kicking, the whip kick. You don't have to bring your leg out of water. So it's like the lazy one I do whenever I'm tired in the pool. Yeah. Kevin just texted whip kick useless. <laughs> I'm sure yes. there's a point, there's a safety point to it. I don't want to take that away from any of the instructors out there. By the way, the way it works now is it starts off with like salamander and turtle and sea lion phase, and then it's like one through nine or something, or one through ten. Oh, do yeah. you get like a colorful badge? You still get a badge. So and like then a the salamander badge? I, I, I feel like when they were younger, it might have just been a sticker, but maybe it was a badge. Oh. It's definitely a badge now in the number era. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't mind getting it or like a temporary tattoo. Because those sound fun. A salamander yeah. is, I kind of want to go back and I want to start over. Like, can I go back to beginner level swimming because I want to get a sea lion sticker? <laughs> You'd get one. You'd qualify. <laughs> so again, more information, winnipeg.ca uh, for the Winnipeg Winter Leisure Guide. Just double checking that now. Yeah, winnipeg.ca and you'll be able to find all that information there on the Leisure Guide. Or you can just email uh, brett at cjob.com. McNabb at cjob.com, or you can text us at 204-780-6868. The Trudeau government will present the fall fiscal update later today. Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland will present her fiscal snapshot in the House of Commons at about 4 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, what have we spent? How much will we spend? Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joins us now. And David, I always like to remind people, this is all of our dollars. This is taxpayers' money. So what can taxpayers expect to see in the numbers that might come out today? Well, I think what you'll hear from the government is a narrative around an improving, that's right, an improving federal fiscal picture. And it's improving because compared to 
what we thought would be happening as recently as April when the budget was tabled. Um, we're now about halfway through the fiscal year and revenues are improving much faster than anticipated and expenses are not as big as anticipated. And why is that? It's because, believe it or not, our economy is really quite on fire right now. I know there's still sectors of the economy that are struggling, mostly travel and tourism, but by and large, uh, the Canadian economy has recovered all the jobs lost because of the pandemic and then some. And in fact, in some, some, by some measures, um, we're doing so good. We're hitting records. For example, the number of women employed in the economy, the, the employment rate for women age 25 to 55 is at an all time high. Uh, Quebec had an all time low unemployment rate. So, um, again, with those caveats that some sectors still struggling, a lot of people are back at work, which means a lot of people are paying taxes. That is your explanation for improved revenue. And because a lot of the, because of those people working, they don't need the pandemic recovery supports. And so the government's expenses are lower. So that's the line from the government improving fiscal picture. Now, that said, after just six months, we still have a huge eye-watering deficit. I mean, tons of red ink still. I mentioned we're, we're six months in, halfway through the fiscal year. We'll get an update on where we're going, but we do know so far we're already $70 billion in, that's the, the size of the deficit this year, $70 billion, and we're only halfway done the year. So what we'll hear from uh, the finance minister this afternoon is, okay, where will we be? And then, you know, what are the conditions under which we might expect to start pulling back on some of this fiscal support? Because you will hear the opposition argue that this these billions of dollars the feds are pumping into the economy, particularly one that's doing relatively well, is inflationary. And that's the big economic problem in the country right now. Really high gas prices, high food prices, you name it. And so the government's problem is inflation. What, if anything, can Ottawa do about it? I think that's going to be some of the political debate we'll hear after this thing's tabled. Is this fiscal update likely to give us a sense of what the government is doing about that inflation? I think we got a preview that from yesterday. Yesterday, you, you, there was a lot of news yesterday, but one of the things that happened here in Ottawa was the federal government and the Bank of Canada renewed their their inflation target. They do this every five years. We don't want politicians fooling around with uh, with with monetary policy. So once every five years, the the the, the two sides say, okay, what's the target? And they renewed that inflation target at 2%. Okay, inflation right now is 4 to 6%, depending on how you count it. It's, it's a problem. Now, yesterday, Freeland was asked about this, and she basically says, inflation is a global phenomenon. There's nothing the Canadian government caused, and therefore there's nothing really the Canadian government can do about it. It's really related to a lot of the supply chain snafus. I know people trying to get Christmas presents can't get their stuff because it's stuck on a freighter halfway coming from Japan or wherever. Um, this is a supply chain problem that's causing inflation. And again, the opposition will say, well, that might be some of it, but it's so long as you continue to spend billions and the government does have a uh, legislation before Parliament to extend some of these COVID recovery benefits to the tune of about an extra $7 billion next year. So, And the opposition is saying as long as you do that, that that is inflationary. So the, the best thing that the government could do to reduce inflation is ease back on some spending. And again, the government's saying, listen, the first thing we're going to do is support people in travel and tourism or wherever when they're hurting. Uh, we've heard business groups saying they still need support. And that's that would seem to be the government's priority. 
Speaking of supporting, David, uh, the Liberals announced yesterday that $40 billion to compensate First Nations children harmed by basically underfunding of the child and family services uh, on First Nation communities. And so that was a big ticket item announced yesterday. Are we expecting more like that today in terms of the spending promises that might come out in this update? Uh, not a whole lot more. And that one, you're, you're really right to flag it, Lauren, that because that's that's been so important. So many Canadians um, hearing about some of the uh, harm that's been caused to First Nations kids. This is not residential schools. This is kids right now uh, living on reserves. The health and welfare system really isn't there for them. And so this money, this $40 billion over five years earmarked to overhaul that system. Also part of that will be compensation to some kids who in the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years been pulled out of their homes, placed in foster care uh, to some harm, and so they will be compensated. But the government said, we're, we're going to book that $40 billion over the next five years. In terms of other big things, I mentioned there's, there's still the discussion about extending recovery benefits. And one thing, you know, in the news right now is getting enough rapid tests out there um, so people can use them as we see uh, Omicron uh, sort of make its way through the country. So we are expecting the government to spend, announce it will spend, you know, a billion and a half dollars buying rapid tests. Now, it's one thing for the federal government to buy rapid tests, but they go out to provincial authorities. It's up to provinces to distribute those rapid tests. And there's been a, you know, it's been very uneven across the country in terms of uh, who's doing rapid tests. I know, I think Alberta is going to announce today it's starting to program to give some away for free uh, over the holidays. Nova Scotia's already got a program to give some away for free. Um, other provinces are coming up with different things. But the feds are going to be saying that, that, you know, here's another billion and a half for rapid tests. And again, I put that against, you know, a deficit that's already 70 billion. So, you know, another billion here or there, it's... Uh, it's not, you know, it's like, oh, well, another billion, another, another billion here or there. Um, it, it's, it, it doesn't really hit the, the big picture in a big way. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great morning. We want to talk about how, hey, if there is a silver lining to this pandemic, and we know it's hard to imagine one sometimes, I think it's perhaps that more Manitobans started talking about finding ways to buy local and shop local. Yeah, and so one of these initiatives proved to be hugely successful in the last year. It's the website called goodlocal.ca. And when non-essential stores were closed to in-store shopping this time last year, local entrepreneur and former Blue Bomber, Abby Khan, decided to launch a website connecting shoppers with dozens of businesses. Fast forward to this year, and Khan has actually opened an actual store in the exchange featuring many of the same products you can find on that site. And Abby joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me as always, guys. Well, before we talk local retail businesses, we need to talk about our local team. And I'm wondering, are you going to be at IG Field tomorrow night or will ShawarmaCon? Or how do you plan to celebrate? Uh, I think I am going to take my son there. He's nine years old. Uh, he never got to watch me play, but he is super excited. He actually couldn't even watch the game. He was so into it. He said, Dad, I have to go to bed. And then he woke up at 6 a.m. said, Dad, who won the game? Uh, it is so awesome to see so many people happy and enjoying the back-to-back. I will most likely be there, but I will not be serving shawarma. You're just going there to enjoy yourself. Just going there as a fan. I can actually sit back as a fan and enjoy this win for this great team. So goodlocal.ca. How successful has it been when it comes to sales? 
It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, October, November, December, Mother's Day, Father's Day are just bananas. It goes to show how many people want to support local and buy local and have it delivered to them. It's just been fantastic. Uh, I mean, we can't keep products in stock right now. That's how crazy it is. How many like different businesses do you have connected to that site right now, Abby? Before we get to the actual yeah. store, let's just stick with the well, website first. When we started with the website, I launched with about 12 of my friends, and now we're well over 450 vendors. So we started with 12, we're at 450, and we have over 10,000 products online, all locally, uh, either made products or businesses locally. So you can check out there. In the storefront, we only have about 50 or 60 businesses just because it's a small storefront. Uh, But we will be rotating that monthly to have new vendors in there, new supply, new stocks. But it's just been a fantastic roller coaster ride. Well, so in terms of curating this site and getting you know in touch with all these vendors, like I, I'm just thinking as a customer, we often get text messages from people who are sort of curious, like they need a starting point, like because they, they want to shop local, but they don't necessarily yeah. know where to look, and they don't know where maybe I know Instagram is a great place for that, but if you don't know where what you're looking for or where to start, it can be hard. So how did you? Was it a challenge to? For you to sort of find all of these vendors, or did they find you? Well, in the beginning, it was a tough, tough go. And that's exactly why I started Good Local. I wanted to shop local. I wanted to support local as a pandemic, but I didn't know how to do it. Everyone says they want to support local, but other than going to one or two stores, I didn't really know what to do. And I was like, there's got to be more businesses out there. So that's where the whole idea came from, was wanting to support local, just not knowing how to do it. So I said, well, let me make a site. I'll get a couple of my friends on there, and we'll see what happens if people will order and in the beginning, it was tough. It was tough to explain this concept and say, hey, I want to make a marketplace where I have all local products. And like I said, we launched with only about 12 businesses. And then once it started picking up traction, uh, people just started coming out. And then we quickly scaled to hundreds and hundreds, now 450. Anybody and everybody is allowed on the site as long as you're a Manitoba-owned and operated business. We have a Made in Manitoba section. I mean, there's so many products on there. And that makes the shopping experience a little harder as well because there's so much now. But you go there, you can filter it. We have gift boxes. We have things for men's and hers and kids. Um, We have tons of food and frozen products. We want it to be everything good, everything local, just like our slogan says. It's a fascinating cycle that you're in here, Avi, because you couldn't have stores open last year. And a lot of these businesses might not have had those storefronts to begin with. They might have been an online business only. You're trying to get the word out for local businesses a year ago. Wildly successful. You said you had huge sales. And so now on the opposite end, you're opening up an actual store because the online sales are so good. So what's the traffic been like, the foot traffic like through good local on McDermott? Yeah, I'm one of those wild guys that says, let's open up a storefront still while we're in a pandemic. It's been great. People are really enjoying it. You know, shopping online is one thing, but getting out and walking around the downtown core, seeing the other businesses in the downtown core, you know, enjoying that, coming in, touching the product, feeling the product is a totally different shopping experience. And I, as you guys know, love Winnipeg and everything Winnipeg, and I'm a real big believer in the downtown core. It's actually right beside my restaurant, so... You know, I kind of did that on purpose, but it's uh, it's just a great place for people to come in, walk around, and it's a small little spot, but we have hundreds of products in there. So, you know, I really wanted to do this just to give people that experience of giving them a reason to get back out, come back downtown, come to the exchange area, support local, and if you don't have it in the store, well, then we have a tablet that you can browse on and uh, go check out our online, go local.ca. 
Goodlocal.ca is the website. The storefront is open Monday to Saturday, 11 to 5 at 223 McDermott Avenue. Abby Khan, thank you very much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Always a pleasure with you guys as well. Have a good day. And if you, I haven't seen you guys at the store yet, so I'm going to keep an eye out for you now. I think I might actually try to swing by there today, Abby. Um, I was just checking to see what time you opened because if it was noon, I'm like, well, I got to sort of mandated to get out of here as soon as possible. But 11 o'clock works. <laughs> 11 o'clock we'll works. We'll see you at 11 and we'll have a shawarma next door. Thanks, brother. Okay. You won't need any other customers after <laughs> Brett comes through. <laughs> That's a great idea. I've never had shawarma either. So that, there what? it is. Brett! I know! Okay. Hey, I'm, we're going to get this all done today, <laughs> and it's going to be a good day, a good local day in downtown Winnipeg. We're asking you, what's your favorite kid's book? What was your favorite book when you were a kid? And is there one that you still revisit as an adult? And one of our listeners says, we had to read The Sundowners in either grade 9 or 10. One of the major characters is a boy named Sean. I read the entire book, and mentally I had his name as <laughs> Seen. <laughs> yeah, when we start- S-E-A-N, right? <laughs> Because yeah, I had a buddy, uh, well, I have a friend named Sean, but it's spelled S-H-A-W-N, and I didn't know what the other one was. But when we started to discuss the book in class, our teacher was asking questions about him, pronouncing it as Sean, and I had a mild panic attack. Who is this person they're talking about? Why am I the only kid who doesn't know who this is? I still laugh when I learn someone is named Sean, spelled S-E-A-N. Yeah, like, did she read the wrong book? You're thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to fail this assignment. I thought it was seen. Okay, <laughs> Melissa says... My favorite book when I was a child was called Bony Legs. It was a book about a witch who was trying to eat a little girl and how little girl's animal friends helped her escape. (laughs) Terrifying now that I think of it. I still have it too. One of the very few items from my childhood. Some of those childhood books, man, they were not for the faint of heart. No, absolutely not. Um, I'm trying to. Th- well, we we read, went through all the dystopian ones like Animal Farm and 1984. Even like Hansel and Gretel. Oh. It was all about that witch and was there not a stove or an oven? Like like she ate children too. I thought. Yeah, and there was actually. I, mean, I, I don't have the text in front of me, but one of our listeners referenced that uh, when they grew up, they um, oh, growing up in this is from Sandy. Growing up in Switzerland, my dad read from a two and a half inch thick collection of Brothers Grimm to my sister and I. I heard and read all of them in original German. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But those those stories. <laughs> Grim indeed. Um, but, you know, I think we've only got a few seconds here left. So why don't you skip ahead to Mandy for the win. So Mandy said, Treasure Island. My grade seven class read it together at Charleswood Junior High. This was Mr. Small's class. We wrote a journal as the main character and then sealed it with candle wax. Ten years later, I posted it on Facebook and reconnected with many others that had also followed those instructions to keep it sealed. And Brett asked, well, what, it was, what was it like to reopen this fantastic journal was just a little circle of wax like old letters i felt pretty special opening it up but disappointed to see i wasn't as creative a writer as i thought that's fair <laughs> get all excited and see oh what did i write 10 years ago oh. i finally get to reopen this thing and oh man i sucked <laughs> oh, I, thought, I found old diaries before and burned them because I was like, oh, God, what was I even writing about here? What did I care about did this you, or that? Like, did you actually burn them? Oh, I burned one. I flat out burned it. I found it in this container a few years ago and the fire starts in the backyard and my husband comes out. And I'm like, oh, I'm just burning an old diary. It was like from grade 10. It was just nonsense. Just like embarrassing grade 10 nonsense. Why don't you like me?
Mandy, congratulations. Treasure Island. That's the book that I said that I wanted to revisit. And I, too, read that in grade seven. So I got to get on that. Mandy, you've inspired me. I'm going to have a chat here about um, social anxiety because it's a busy time of month. Last year, we couldn't do anything for going out. You couldn't go out and to a restaurant and hang out with your friends. And we had we were down to like as a, it was basically, it was household only, wasn't it, Loren? Yeah. Oh, no. Christmas was just with the people within your household for sure. Yeah, that's and right. I think you're one designated person, so you you were able to see your dad. That's right, and uh, my, I, I so I I went to see my dad for Christmas, and my sister couldn't even come see us. So this the point is, we we can now actually go out and and do things again. And I don't know what things are like for you, but December tends to be a very busy time of year for me socially, and it's just funny how we. At least I have forgotten how to behave as a, a functioning, normal human being. And in spite of all of the things that have sort of gone back to normal-ish over the last several months, I still find myself kind of thrown off. And I just wanted to, to bring it up here to see if I'm alone in this. Because on Saturday night, I was out with a couple of friends. We went to Brazen Hall. And... I don't know. I don't even know why, but I just found myself super, super anxious. And like to be fair, I'm kind of an anxious basket case at most times. And I'm not saying that to be self-deprecating. Like I generally am always a little bit anxious. And I just there are certain times where it just I can't seem to get a hold of it. So Saturday, like to the point where after, like the next day, my buddy called me and he said, "Look, I just wanted to call to check in to see." If you're okay, because yesterday you were distant and irritable and kind of snappy at times, and I just had to sort of fall on the sword and say I was feeling brutal social anxiety, and I like really don't know why. you went out, Brett? Like you were feeling that in the lead up to the night out? No, it wasn't. It was once I got there. Right. And I don't know what it, what it is. Um, last Saturday for Phil the Freightliner, which was a wonderful event, it was so nice to be on site Again at Boston Pizza Keniston with our friends from Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1 and Transolutions Truck Centers filling the freight liners for Silo Mission. But that was the first time where I've been on site for work purposes for anything for in two years. So I'm used to it. When I get to work, you know what it's like here. I mean, you, you, you were here the last few days, Loren. It's super quiet here when you get here at four in the morning. So you walk into an empty studio, you're working by yourself. So to then walk into the lounge at Boston Pizza, which is already a hopping place, and you've got people coming and going. It was a beehive of activity, and I haven't seen Kathy Kennedy. She was sitting there. I haven't seen her for over a year. So we had an emotional, you know, we embraced each other in a, in a hug, and she wanted to catch up. But in the meantime, I'm thinking, I got to record my first hit in like the next 10 minutes. I just started sweating. I just, it was complete overload and I almost shut down. I almost left. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I think there's a couple things maybe happening and I'm just speaking not for you, but for myself, even having felt some of those things. First of all, you know, we got a bit used to the quiet or being alone there for so long. So even just having gone into work last week, having to say hello to people in the morning and make eye contact and do some little things with the, you know, the Tim Hortons person at four in the morning grabbing my coffee. Like it just, by the end of the day, I was far more tired 
having done that than I am just when I'm at home because I just had to talk to more people. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- doing some of the, you know, emceeing events. I did one like last month and I found myself very awkward off the start just because, and I admitted it to everybody in the crowd. Just, I don't know what to, where to look and what to do with my hands and we, to shake hands is not something I'm doing yet, but other people were. And then, you know, the embracing thing becomes part of it if you're with a closer group and then you get out at some point and it feels so good to be out. And then you have that guilt that comes with it because of, you know, the different things we've gone through over the past few months in terms of the safety things we have to be thinking about. And I don't know, I just, it's a lot going on. And then to be with your friends feels so good, but I think it's tiring for some people by the end of it. You just think I'm more tired now because I, that missed months, those missed chances, those missed gatherings, um, set you on a different path, like mentally. You didn't have to maybe even try as hard or engage. It's exhausting. That reminds me of the, the, I think there was the first round of golf that I played this year. And it was, I think that might've been the first time where I basically got to see any of my friends for a long time. And suddenly I went from having conversations with nobody in person other than, you know, Greg or anybody at work uh, to, there were seven other guys there and everybody, conversations were flying everywhere. And I, I sort of just had to quietly retreat to the golf cart for a, f- a couple of minutes because it was just, it was overload. So I just wanted to put it out there and ask you at 204-780-6868 if this is something uh, that you have that you can relate to. Like this listener says, Brett, me too. Anxiety has kicked up big time. I just had two panic attacks last week and it was truly awful. People who are already anxious did not need this anxiety-inducing pandemic and now the extra social anxiety stuff Two. I'm fascinated because that the social aspect was there before and now it's returning. And so were people feeling this way beforehand and now they have to learn how to readjust to those feelings they've experienced? Like one of our listeners, I'm not going to share their name, said, I left a Grey Cup party with my close longtime friends. There was about 10 of them to watch the second half alone. I would never have done that before COVID. It was strange and I'm not sure why I felt that way, but I had to get out of there. That's interesting. Okay. Um, Okay, well, it's good to know that I'm not alone. And I guess I wanted to bring this up as well in case you were wondering, like, what if is there something wrong with me? And I think there it's not. It's just we're we're having to kind of readjust to certain settings. And I think for me, too, it's maybe uh, settings of unfamiliarity. Like I hadn't been to Brazen Hall in a couple of years. I go to the pub every Friday, right? I go there after work and I no start... No issues there for you, right? <laughs> no. As far as I can tell? Or... <laughs> no, although as it's gotten busier, there are times where I have, uh, I have difficulty sort of concentrating on specific conversations because when we started going in February... They had, there were like 15 people in there, right? Because it was, that was when you could only dine with members of your household. So there were three people sitting at the bar top and then every single table was occupied by one single person because no one was allowed to sit together. So it wasn't that loud in the pub over the last several months. The attendance has grown and now there are no restrictions as to how many people can be there. So it can get pretty loud in there. So I find that a little bit. It can be a bit overwhelming, but that's an environment I'm familiar with, and I'm sitting at the bar where I'm not, I don't feel crowded, and I can escape any, any moment if I need to. But uh, the restaurant, maybe I just because I hadn't been there in a little while, and as I mentioned, Boston Pizza, it was the first time I was doing something for work outside anywhere. So that was, I mean, outside of the studio, I don't mean outdoors. Sure. Um, another well, listen. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, one of them weighed in to say that, you know, it might be just your lack of familiarity, right? What you used to do and then the change that the past year and a half brought. So this person said they used to be a door-to-door salesperson, social, going to live events, festivals. Then due to a family trauma, I became a stay-at-home mom and barely experienced social events. I eventually had a horrible panic attack in a Walmart around Christmas because it was so busy and the energy was so high, it became overwhelming. Seems to be a lack of familiarity to social interaction that caused this for this listener. So that might just be what you what you had to get used to beforehand and then what went away and what's come back, right? And then readjusting to the before times, the current times, the after times. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll we'll have to have a follow-up conversation on, on this tomorrow and track down one of our mental health professional friends uh, to see what we can do to, to deal with this. Listener Brett says, hey, Brett, the next time you go out and are worried about social anxiety, just invite me to join your friends. For the price of a meal, I'll help you remain calm and even be your designated driver, <laughs> too. Don't. I'm not a certified therapist, just a loyal CGOB listener, friend of the morning show, and professional restaurant attendee. So I would like that. I've been watching <laughs> Veep lately, which like is fascinating and horrible all at the same time. She's such an awful character in some ways. But she's got that handler that follows her everywhere, that like leans over with all the... You know, cues, say hello, that person's from Oklahoma. They have six cattle. Oh, you have cattle. We're moving into the restaurant now. You remember, you don't eat nuts. I'm getting you a salad. Great, get me a salad. Like, you could just have that person. <laughs> right? That sounds like, great. follow you around everywhere. You don't want to talk to this person? They're not very nice? Okay, moving on. <laughs> I have always meant to watch that show. Uh, just, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I the just dialogue. Started. The dialogue is so vicious and brilliant. Yeah, it's awful. Like it's so it's so good, but sh- it they're really just some well and truly awful people in that show. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.